Hello, just a quick bit before this week's episode to let you know that we have a Patreon you can subscribe to if you like what we're doing here and you want more of it. You probably already knew that. We don't stop going on about it. What you didn't know is that you can currently get a little free trial so you know exactly what you'd get as part of your subscription. You can head to patreon.com slash whatismusicpod or follow the link in the show notes to get your first seven days free. All you need to do is pick which tier you'd like a free trial of. The Biggest Mates tier is the one that has all the extras in it. And then for seven days, you are free to listen to any episode we've released in the last six months. You can cancel any time or just leave the subscription rolling if you like what you find. It's charged monthly. And during any month, as part of that Biggest Mates tier, you'll get ad-free episodes of this show every Monday. You'll get a brand new episode of our new Manic Street Preacher show every month. Two episodes every month of The Ultimate Playlist, our themed playlist show, where we talk about all kinds of different music, different artists, different genres, different eras, and one or two bonus episodes every month, depending on the length of the month. That's two episodes every week. There's also other tiers to trial. One that is just the Manic Show and ad-free What Is Music episodes, and another that is just ad-free What Is Music episodes. But hey, if the first seven days are free, why not try a bit of everything? Plus, all tiers include access to the exclusive subscriber-only Discord where we discuss the shows, the bands we've covered, various music topics, and loads of other stuff, including some games that the friendly community have devised themselves. So head on over to our Patreon page now to claim your free seven-day trial. Go to patreon.com slash whatismusicpod or follow the link in our show notes. See you there. Digital audio workstation is a shit acronym, isn't it? Yeah. Door. Bad. Well, what would you... I mean, that's the, that's the initials you've been given, so what would you... I, I, but then again, I, I would never refer to it as a digital audio workstation, I guess. What would you refer to it as? I don't know, GarageBand. Right, but I'm, software. I'm not, I'm I've never referred to Microsoft Word as mm. a digital text workstation. Why? Because it sounds stupid. A DT dubs. A... <laughs> Do you not? <laughs> right now. Mm. Now, if I called it a DA dubs, would that be better for you? It'd be a little bit better. Okay. Yeah. Oh, God. I just got a text from my wife. Are you recording? Okay. Yes. That yeah. means something in the house is broken. Or there's something <laughs> in that room that she needs. <laughs> she needs something. I bet it is. You need something from this room, don't you? You need something from this room. Don't you? Just come get it. No, there's yeah. an intruder in the house. Kiss is what you're probably going to receive. And then it's going to take a big turn and we won't be laughing anymore. She's put in the effort to put in a kiss. That would be amazing. Yeah. She needs to check if you're recording first. I don't want to burst in in case it ruins the take. <laughs> but there is an intruder in the house. Yeah, there you go. And, and, and you just heard the take get ruined there. You just heard the door open, not even quietly. There's like, an intruder one of these in the emojis room. on the end, though. Uh, with the tongue out. And the, uh. Good. There's an intruder. At least, she, at least she closes the door quite What did she need? What did she need? Shut. Yeah, there you go. And then she slammed it. I slammed it. Slammed the door. Amazing. What did she the need? D-A-W. An item, an item of clothing. because she, So she has closed garage band. Yeah, she has closed three, the digital audio workstation. There's three piles of clothes in this room that need, Where, need what, attention. What is it that you mean when you say she slammed garage band? Yeah, what does that I mean? Said, I said she slammed the door, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah.
Oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Wise Music, a music podcast about music. We're a podcast that focuses on discographies in their entirety, doing deep dives on one artist at a time. You join us in season four, which is called Is It Rad in Your Head? A critical analysis of the history, cultural impact of music of Radiohead. We're going through their entire career, album by album, track by track, asking questions like, does context matter when you're listening to music? Does knowing the history of an artist affect your appreciation of their output? And this season, we're of course asking, is it rad in your head? And to be clear, we're asking, is it rad in your head in regards to the band Radiohead? Not, is it rad in your head in regards to this, the fourth season of our podcast, which is called, is it rad in your head? And which is now in your head. I'm Adam Scott Glasspool. I'm a music person. I love the artistry, the emotion, and also the context that surrounds music. With me, as always, is someone who said they don't care about art or talking about art, doesn't often relate personally to music, but inexplicably finds himself as the long-running host of a music discussion podcast. <laughs> it's Lucas Way. Hello. <laughs> That's so enthusiastic. Yeah, like In it. the middle of that, we have someone who can appreciate context, art, and subject matter, and sometimes wears hats, although not today. Steve Murphy. <laughs> Hey, guys! Oh, oh no! It's an enthusiastic it's like, episode. It's like a horrible uh, morning American radio uh, show. <laughs> hey, the <this> guy! <laughs> and then Coldplay. Uh, so, welcome back to the podcast, guys. How are you, Lucas, staring deeply into space? Steve, you've got like these like acoustic things on your wall to improve your audio. Yeah, and normally you put a sheet up behind you, which you haven't done. But yeah, because I realise it actually doesn't do that much. Uh, but you've got an open door. Uh, Hannah's not here, so whatever. Feels like that's inviting external stimuli uh, and noise. Oh, oh nice. Uh, Steve, you can answer how you are if you want. I'm good, man. I've got uh, a silly strong coffee in my Sports Direct mug. Uh, that's about. That's a- really that's a really good thing to do at seven seven. Coffee. At well, 7 these recordings that we do when there's multiple, just to rip back the wizards. Flesh. Dick. Um, his dick. Wow. We've lost all nuance in that idiom, haven't we? We tend to, to do parts one, two, and three, or however many it's going to be in one session, and then go in and do the intros and outros later, and usually we finish about midnight, and actually I get and a bit None tired. of that happens. No. So what I've done now is I've had a big old coffee, so in about two or three hours I'm going to crash hard, and it's going to be really shit. To be fair, I really fancy a coffee now, and I'm just texting Hannah to say, can I request a decaf coffee when convenient? She's like, no, there's an intruder in the house. Winking emoji. <laughs> Uh, we're going through the entire discography of Thief Hailer's Radiohead. Uh, we've reached their sixth studio album, Hail to Thief, as part of our brave voyage to discover what music really is. Uh, guys, what is music? Cabbage. Okay. It's not cabbage. So it's, it's, not cabbage. it's cabbage and it's not cabbage. Oh, okay, I heard snot. That's a very broad definition we've got there, isn't it? Cabbage and also not cabbage, I think, mm. kind of encompasses well, it, all it me- things. It means it, it means it literally could is it, it covers everything in the world. It covers... It, mine is everything in the world that isn't cabbage, mm. but then Steve just picks up that cabbage, so mm-hmm. we're covered. Yep. Covered for everything. Excellent. Yeah, you got it? Nobody up. can complain that we haven't defined what music is, because we definitely have in that. We just in did, just that yeah. 30 seconds of... Of podcasting, absolutely fantastic stuff. Um, so, uh, where should we start today, guys? We like to do a bit of context and stuff, don't we? Well, this album was released mid two thousands, right? So, I imagine you're going to start around then. That nineties. Yeah, you you okay. want to start in the nineties? Yeah. yeah. 
just to really get to grips of the full context Well, we haven't recorded in a while. Just right. to pull back the wizard's bell end. We haven't recorded in a while. <laughs> so you want a little, a little refresher. And so I need a bit of a catch-up. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. in 1776, <laughs> the leaders of a successful war of revolution against the British signed the Declaration of Independence, uh, kind of forming a path towards the creation of the United States of America. Uh, they initially formed a decentralised government. And in 1789, the United States Constitution split the federal government into three branches, yeah? Legislative, executive, and judicial, in order to to create a process of checks and balances. And in that same year, the first president of the United States was elected. And we all know who that was, guys. It was... uh, John Major. uh, Donald Trump. (laughs) It was George Washington. Wasn't oh. it? Is it? So is is that George H. Washington or George W. Washington? That's just no. There's no H or W in that one. We'll get onto one of George those in a little bit. Washington wasn't. I'm thinking of Benjamin Franklin. Move on. The mechanics of the election, right, have broadly remained the same, with residents of the United States voting for representatives of the electoral college region in which they live. Uh, the electoral college then votes, usually in line with its constituents, for the president of the United States, and this process uh, takes place every four years. So it's quadrennial, which is not mm. a word that you hear very often. Um mm. So I thought I'd just point that out, really. Uh, yeah, thanks. The touring for Amnesiac had wrapped up, uh, and if you remember, they released uh, I Might Be Wrong in around Wait. sort of 2000, and it was the end of 2001, I think it was. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of a document of their live shows from that year, and then they took a little bit of a break from being a band. And we went over in, in the last episode all of the little extra curricular things that the band uh, did, right? Something that Tom did was he just kept writing songs, right? And and in early 2002, he presented the rest of the band with three CDs each. One was called The Gloaming, another was called Episcoval, and the third was called Hold Your Prize. And the CDs were a mixture of like purely electronic recordings or like snippets of stuff similar to what he brought to the Kid A sessions, but also there were sketches and demos of actual songs right it's so different him and like nicky wire are so different to me if i brought to bought you guys a load of demos on three cds do you know what they'd be called demos one two cd one cd cd one (laughs) cd two and cd three yeah Yeah. and the demos would be called demo one demo two demo or maybe there'd be like a descriptor like heavy demo but the the difference is because is that it's cd spell s-e-e-d-y yeah, oh, CD1. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Some, so they had the electronic snippets, but some of it were full songs on guitar and piano, fully formed songs, <gasps> something that Tom hadn't brought to the band in about four years or something. Yeah. Um, some of it was stuff they had tried before. Um, there was the song called... Was there a version of... Uh, version of uh, True Love song? Waits? True Love Waits? Yeah, no, it a, because this... it's done. They're done with True Love Waits. That's it. Oh. It came out on the I Might Be Wrong recordings. As far as they're concerned, sure. it's done. Um, big wink. Big wink. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a song called I Will, which obviously is the one that became like spinning plates. There's that early version of Reckoner that we heard that's awful. Um, <laughs> Burn the Witch was on there, but the bulk of it was what sort of like new stuff. And they were kind of reinvigorated by the process of playing Kid A and Amnesiac Live and playing together as a band after so long of not doing that and crafting the songs in the studios instead. And now, 
because they had spent a good chunk of time trying it Tom's way, if you remember, for Kid A and Amnesiac, yeah. they were now going to try it Ed's way. Yes, and Ed's way. get back to starting with a song, working it up in rehearsal, and then recording it live. Okay? They also wanted to do it quicker, snappy, less umming and ahhing, and relying more on instinct and perfecting things in rehearsal first. That sounded like a bit of uh, Fit or Happier then. <laughs> you sound like you're doing Fit or Happier then. <laughs> you're like quicker, snappier, less more alarming. productive. <laughs> <laughs> so they didn't even uh, they didn't even want to do like the live recording that was like protracted for the Benz and OK Computer. You know, those are live recordings, but it took them months and months and months. They wanted to get back to what they were doing on Pablo Honey in the studio with songs ready. They record them and then they're out again. So. How do you think that went? I reckon it took them nine months and they fell out loads. I bet they had a terrible time. <laughs> okay, let's find out. Because obviously they didn't start with the recording, they start with the rehearsal. So in, in May and June 2002, they convened in Oxford in their rehearsal space to work on this new batch of songs. And it was mostly going okay. And they did this for a couple of months, working out arrangements, trimming sections, refining lyrics, finding the sound that would link all of the songs together. Then they needed a bit of a change up and realised that it's easy. I think when you're in that kind of situation, you can get like tunnel vision when it's only you hearing the songs. They needed feedback. And they remembered Nigel Godrich's suggestion, who was back on board to produce this album, his suggestion from the Kid A sessions of maybe doing a little tour to get out there and play the songs in a different environment in front of people. So in the last week of July and the first week of August 2002, they did a tour of Portugal and Spain. Hmm. Just those two countries. Yeah, um, well, they're next to each other, so... You know, yeah, exactly. Helps. Easy. Yeah, well, and it's yeah. all basically, right? It's a holiday, isn't it? They basically yeah. wanted to go to Portugal <laughs> and Spain. Yeah, yeah. And they thought, fuck it, we'll do some gigs while we're over there. But I can't imagine Tom having a nice time on a summer on a sunny holiday. Have I not said... This is going to sound like a weird sentence, right? But if you know me, I think you'll probably understand where it's coming from. Have I not sent you the beach photos of Tom York? No. Of him, like, no. in little swimming shorts and stuff. It's lovely. No, I'll send, I those, see it. I'll send those to you later. But it I is weird. I would much more be, like, a fan of a European, a cold European city. Right, like Berlin or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah or, like, yeah, go yeah. to, like, yeah, go to, like, Copenhagen or something. Well, he lives, yeah. in, a- he lives in L.A. now. He loves, loves yeah. the beach. Well, you know? He doesn't want to go to Copenhagen. Bloody sellout. Uh, <laughs> they did five shows in Portugal in two cities, six shows in Spain in two cities, and headlined Benacassim Festival. Uh, alongside the Chemical Brothers and The Cure. Uh, And the plan was to play two sets each night, and the first would be all new material, and then the second set and encore would be back catalogue stuff. And they did this the first night, and they decided they didn't like it. Uh, It was too much like theatre, apparently. It was too civilised for them to have an intermission and then then come back on. So they abandoned that idea and mixed it up a little bit more. Although they did still open with, like, seven new songs in a row, which... um, I suppose at least the shows were advertised as that, right? Otherwise, that would be slightly alarming. Yes. Um, They were playing all sorts of uh, new stuff. Lyft uh, got an airing, which hadn't been played live since the OK Computer days, a song that everyone thought was dead. So it showed that really everything was back on the table. Uh, Some nights they didn't play anything older than OK Computer, so nothing from the Benz or Pablo Honey. But they were clearly having like a lot of fun. They played 12 of the songs that would end up on Hail to the Thief, and a song that didn't make it called Up on the Ladder, which we can pop on our little pinboard. Oh, so they played, like, 
quarter of the album then. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Nearly a quarter, just under. Um, one night they played Creep, uh, <laughs> something. On the last night... I've heard of that. On the last night of the tour, they just started taking requests from the audience for a little bit. Uh, if you listen to the bootleg, it's really interesting. They just start going, well, what do you want to hear? Which meant that they played You from Pablo Honey, uh, the song called Nude, a B-side called Fog. They played Big Boots, that abandoned song from the Avengers soundtrack uh, that we saw in Meeting People is Easy and have never heard. Who's shouting for that? Radiohead fans, because they're insane. And they're like, play oh, yeah. Big Boots. And they're like, yeah, all right. Which is mad, because they can just bang that out whenever it's requested. Yeah, how do they, like, <laughs> I don't remember how to play it. It's mad, isn't it? <laughs> Imagine us they going just... on tour and someone going, do six out of ten. And then yeah. we go, oh, yeah, we know I that one. can't remember how it goes. No, <laughs> instinct will bring do it back. The worst do thing the ghost I've ever of Michael heard. Jackson. Uh, no, that's our creep. We'll never bring that back, except in very, very <laughs> certain circumstances. Um and then when they returned to the UK, it was time to set about recording the album. But Nigel suggested an even bigger change of scenery and pace. They had recorded Nigel. all of their albums so far, like fairly close to their homes in Oxford, uh, either in studios or in haunted houses, really, wasn't it? Um, yeah. So for this one, Nigel suggested Oceanway Studios in Hollywood, California. Again, that's exactly what I think of when I think of Radiohead. It's Hollywood. Yeah. Radiohead, perhaps the least Hollywood rock band I can think of. <laughs> um, but Nigel had recorded like Beck and Travis there. He's now like a hugely in-demand producer and felt that the change of scenery would be good for the process. So in September 2002, Radiohead go to LA and record in the studio where Pet Sounds was recorded and Sinatra had recorded and Elvis and the Rolling Stones and Elton John and R.E.M. and Ella Fitzgerald and the Mamas and Papas California Dreamin' was recorded in that studio. It's such like a legendary studio. Um, and of course they were surrounded by the sea and sun and the beautiful people of L.A. and they went to loads of parties every night. Uh, and sort of like stood in the corner, just the five of them huddled around laughing at everybody because they're fucking nerds. Um, but it wasn't just a change of scenery. There was a strict deadline. Two weeks. Oh. They wanted to be instinctual and make quick decisions. They had the studio for two weeks and recorded one song a day to make up the 14 tracks on Hail to the Thief. <laughs> two That's weeks. It. Two weeks. What? One song a day. 14 songs. Uh, Johnny said they worked so quickly that when they started doing little bits of mixing towards the end of the two weeks, they'd forgotten the stuff that they'd recorded on the first day. So they were coming to that instinctively as well. And uh, while we're and I about- now know what mixing is because we spoke to Dave Aaron. Exactly. Um, he also set himself a personal challenge, Johnny did, which was no effects on his guitar, no effects pedals. Um, and you'll hear it on the record. There's some reverb. And there's some distortion, and that's it. Sounds like he's already broken. Sound that sounds like two effects right there. They're both in amp. You can you can achieve both of those by just using your amplifier. So there's no effects pedals on Johnny's Johnny's stuff on this album. You could, I mean, you could probably just get a swanky amp that has a lot of effects built in, and then you'd break that. Yeah, that's cheat. That's cheating. That's well, definitely no more cheating. cheating. No more cheating than what he's doing. Well, well, no, because okay, so the reverb is just a spring in the amplifier, and distortion is achieved just by turning the amp up. That's how you get. That's how you get distortion. Just putting the putting the uh, the drive up as fast as far as it will go. So there's no like effect. There's no processing going on there. It's all just in box, isn't it? Whereas the the amps that have loads of effects on have like circuit boards and stuff that it's all running through. 
Adam. I've lost you. I don't understand how okay, it's cool. Okay, so. fine. Well, let me just assure you, <laughs> there's no effects pedals on his guitar. Um, and, and they did it. 14 songs in two weeks, one a day. Um, and then when they got back to the UK, there was like sporadic bits of work at Canned Applause. They did some editing, some mixing, some overdubs of stuff like harmonies, extra harmonies. And then in December 2002, they did another live webcast uh, from their studio for Christmas. And then they tinker with mixing and sequencing until February 2003. I'm just waiting for you to say, and then they scrapped it, and then they had two years of a bad time recording it. So the sequencing created a lot of conflict. They couldn't decide what was going to make it onto the album and what wasn't going to make it onto the album and what order it should be in. That took a couple of weeks, yeah. But no, the album's done. The album's done, oh, guys. No, okay, yeah. yeah. Literally waiting for you to go, yeah, they got rid of it, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm still waiting for the bit where they fall out. Is it like they yeah. printed them all to disc and then they started kicking off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. Um, There was a little hiccup where in March 2003, about 10 weeks before the album was released, the whole album was leaked, but in an unfinished state. Uh, it wasn't fully mixed. Uh, some drum parts hadn't been properly edited. There was some stuff they hadn't tidied up. The band were really annoyed about it, but not with the people downloading it, just that it had been leaked in an unfinished state. Um, but no, guys, the album's done. They rehearsed the songs, which they had a good time doing. They went on tour. They recorded the album in two weeks. They mixed it. It's done. No, I don't believe you. <laughs> no. Nope. You're wrong. It's done. That's it. It's like uh, the easiest, breeziest uh, recording thing that they kind of do. And I think that kind of maybe speaks to how the album comes out a little bit as well. Uh, yeah, maybe. Tom, Tom described the whole process as being a little bit like being on holiday camp and they'd work like during the day and then go out to parties and stuff. Sounds like a nice time. That's how Hell of was made. Yeah. When it came time to promote the album, they were fully back into promo mode, uh, but on like their own terms. So not a repeat of the OK Computer days, but also not. not the zero appearances style of, of Kid A. And they also continued their preference for weird campaigns before anything was officially announced. People uh, started seeing posters that had appeared around LA and London that looked like they were talent adverts or casting adverts for actors and entertainers in kind of a spoof of the pop idol type talent shows that had just begun to spring up in 2003. But they read, are you hungry? Are you sick? Are you begging for a break? Are you sweet? Are you fresh? Would you do anything? We want young blood. Uh, we want the sweet meats. And then there's a picture uh, of a leather all... sofa. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, these were all put up, and there was a phone number at the bottom as well. And if you called it, you were taken to the Hail to the Thief customer care hotline, uh, where you could hear snippets from, from songs from the album. Nice. That's, that is some lyrics, isn't it, from one of the songs? Yeah, that's from yeah. We Suck Young Blood. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they decided to embark on a UK tour a few weeks before the album came out. And this was a proper UK tour, not like, oh, this is a work in progress sort of thing. This was leg one of the Hail to the Thief tour. But gone was the 10,000 person tent and also gone were the arenas that they would usually play. They instead opted for, for venues like Shepherd's Bush Empire and venues of, of that size. It's lovely. They did seven dates that held between two and 3,000 people Empire is a little bit less than that, so they did two nights. But that was it. 
They only played to 4,000 people in London, having played to 60,000 people around London on the last tour. Um, Well, the true fans will get the tickets, and anyone that doesn't succeed isn't a real fan. (laughs) Tickets were really difficult to get just for the one where they played three 10,000-person nights in London. This was fucking impossible. It was, yeah, apparently it was really arduous. And, of course, not, not quite in the era of Ticketmaster even still. It would have been on the phone lines and stuff. People trying to get through on there. People would have spent hours trying to get these tickets. Well, they should have pressed five more times. <laughs> when Radiohead schedule shows, they are often absolute bastards. Uh, I, I hate them for the way that they <laughs> schedule their shows. They're so wrong-headed. Anyway, um, on 26th of May, they released the first single from Hail to the Thief. Now, if you were going to release singles from some of the songs from Hail to the Thief, what would you release and what would you release first? Oh... The gloaming. I well, I, I don't want to get into this album just yet, but um, I don't know the names of any of the songs. Uh, Which ones? There's two names for every song. What? what? Yeah, we'll get into that. We'll get into that <laughs> a little bit later. <laughs> I would release as a single the first single. I'd release the gloaming, and then would I you? will, and then <laughs> okay. I will would come second. You would just follow that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so they released there, there, nice um, as the first single. Good. Um, Lucas, that's the one that that goes. Uh, how does that go? How does that go? Just cause you feel it doesn't mean it's there. And that's spot on. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the UK, it charted at number one. Okay, three. <laughs> Bizarre. Hey, that's close. That's close. Number four. Uh. <laughs> You you know that Radiohead have never had a number one single, though. We mentioned it so many times at the beginning oh, of this podcast. I thought, I thought it was talking about the album. <laughs> right, okay, fantastic. No, I, didn't, I knew he wasn't because of the words he said. Yeah, because of the question I asked you. Uh, they, also, <laughs> they also started their own online television channel, uh, but we'll, we'll talk about that at a, different, at a different time as well. And then Hail to the Thief was released on 9th of June 2003, it's 14 tracks and 56 minutes long. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yep. Mm. yep. I've got nothing to say mm. about that. No one's got anything to I'm, say about that. I have, opi- sure. I have opinions about that. Have you? Oh, do you? Oh, I you didn't even think the length would come into this. Yeah, there's too much of it. Oh. There's too much of the length yeah. of this album. There's too much of the length. <laughs> yeah. Never been a problem um, for me. Can you make that? <laughs> weird brag. Yeah. Um, interestingly, right? This this actually shocked me because I think this album's too long. Right? It's only three minutes longer than OK Computer. Yeah. When you said fifty six minutes, I was surprised that it wasn't. It's the same length as Absolution in tracks and yeah, an in album that minutes. you guys said was too long. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Mad. <laughs> Mad. Um, uh, it's produced and mixed by Nigel Godrich and Radiohead. The artwork uh, is credited to. Stanley, who's in charge here, Donwood. Right. Um, okay. But that's it. He's just him. No, just him no Count Chocula this time. time. There's no Count Chocula. The, the, the legends of the serial monsters do not join the ranks of the other monsters yeah. that are on this album. Mm. Um, let's talk about the artwork while we're talking about the artwork. Talk to me about the artwork. Uh, Steve, you go first while Lucas quickly looks it up. Yep. Uh, it, I like it. <laughs> it does scream A-level to the- art piece don't you think like college like oh, college yeah, art no, i've got no i've got an opinion about it this is yeah, what this is what then. my opinion first of all just the two words that jumped out at me straight away there's lots of words on there is lube and donut yeah. 
It's a lube donut. Lovely lube donut. I would say it's it looks like a landfill with like buzzwords from culture filling it up. Absolutely, what I've got written down. Yeah. Do you know what else it looks like though? Elmer the Patchwork Elephant. Oh, it, it does. Looks like Elmer the Patchwork it Elephant. Does. You're absolutely right. Do you know a third thing that it looks like? Nothing else. A map of LA. Oh, is it? Okay. Have a look at it. You can see all the streets and everything's arranged into blocks. Oh, what with the with the with the the sea oriented at the top? Yeah, it's it's actually specifically Hollywood. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so where's vacant? Is beef uh, Muscle Beach? <laughs> Maybe <laughs> <Yeah>. quite possibly. <laughs> all of the buildings have been replaced with buzzwords, all taken from billboards that Stanley would see as he was driving around LA. Because of course they took Stanley with them to LA so that he could have a lovely holiday and also create the artwork alongside the album. Um, he was trying to evoke the mood of the time. So some of the ones that stood out to me are TV, armed, coin, bang bang, fear center, karaoke. Beef, patrol, lube, bacon, um, AIDS, and if you've been to LA, that is on. Uh, mm-hmm. You know just how much advertising there is, absolutely everywhere. If you've been to the United States of America, yes, yeah, New York City, you know, New New York City, yeah, mm-hmm. yep. New York City, New York City. Um, this does a Tell pretty. There was a bit less advertising then, actually, than everywhere else was Hawaii. Oh yes, of course. Yes, not a bit, a bit more chill. Yeah, it's a bit, a bit more chill, isn't it? Well, I think it's a it's a place of great beauty, whereas LA place of great shit. Yeah, not really. Um, <laughs> I think this does a, a pretty good job of giving that surrounded, claustrophobic, overstimulated uh, kind of vibe. Burn the witch is on there too, uh, which is interesting. Oh. Um, and on the cover, yeah, like I, I, I see uh, a landfill, mm, like a yeah. hill, yeah. and it's all the stuff that's been buried. All of the colours that Stanley used are um, colours that have been derived from the petrochemical industry, which is really interesting as well. This idea that we've created a hugely vibrant and colourful society at the expense of the environment, and then on the front is kind of like a landfill uh, kind of thing. Um, Lucas desperately trying to look for Burn the Witch. <laughs> Yeah, he's trying. He's trying. It's, I'm sure it's on there it's, somewhere. It's not on there. It's it's on. I think it's on in the booklet. There, there's more oh, of these not things the in same, the booklet. Is it? Stanley initially wanted it to be photographs of phallic topiary, mm. but the band rejected that oh. idea. Yeah, what's um, topiary again? Uh, bush Bush's art. Cut, so he just wanted. Yeah. Dick. Oh, just Fallon. Bush yeah. Dick. Sounds great. <laughs> I'd, rem- I'd remember that album cover. Well, I told yeah, I've actually here. got some uh, artwork here. It's a it's a bunch of Bush Dicks. How about that? What else <laughs> have we got? <laughs> Maybe we go back to the drawing board. Oh, that okay, one, Stan. Yeah. Um, Mixed uh, by Mike Hedges. Oh. Neither the band name nor the title of the album appears on the cover, but they did print the lyrics in the booklet for the first time since OK Computer. Um, so yeah, the title doesn't uh, doesn't appear, but let's let's talk about the title. Should we talk about the title? I mean, there's two titles, but let's focus on the main one. Let's focus on Hail to the Thief. Hail to the Thief. What do you mean there's two? I'll talk about it. I'll just talk about it, guys. In November 2000, the US presidential election was being contested by Al Gore and George W. Bush, right? George W. Bush won the election making him the 43rd president of the United States. Uh, he won 271 electoral votes to Al Gore's 266, with Al Gore actually winning the popular vote by over half a million votes. It was mostly a normal election for a lot of the time. Uh, and I get to do my Adam Curtis voice here. But then, 
something strange happened. Boom. <laughs> CNN, NBC, Fox News, CBS, and ABC at around 8 p.m. called Florida for Al Gore based on the exit polls and projections, okay? Then, as the actual vote, votes were being counted, Bush took a bit of a lead. And it went back into the undecided column at about 10 p.m. At 2.30 a.m., with 85% of Florida votes counted, Bush was winning by 100,000 votes, and Fox News called it for Bush, giving him the presidency. Okay, that was what needed to tip it over. Other networks followed Fox's lead, and Gore conceded the presidency or the, the election. The problem was the three counties that made up the uncounted votes in Florida were predominantly populated by Democratic voters. As the count was completed, Bush's lead was under 2,000 votes, which meant a recount was legally required. Gore withdrew his concession. Florida was worth 25 electoral votes, so whoever won Florida won the race. When the recount was complete, Bush was in the lead by only 300 votes, but there was some confusion about how many overseas votes had actually been received by the legal deadline they were required to be received by. Gore went on to request hand recounts in key counties. The US Supreme Court denied this, stating that a recount of some of those votes would, quote, threaten irreparable harm to George W. Bush. The election had basically already been called, initially by Fox News, supposedly at the request of the governor of Florida. Alongside this, Florida ran an election that massively disenfranchised black voters, who at the time would have typically voted Democrat. Uh, the process Florida followed under its governor in that election has been called election fraud by many, many people. And who was the governor of Florida at that time? Jeb Bush, George W. Bush's brother. So this has been called a stolen uh, election. In 1812... James Sanderson set some verses of Sir Walter Scott's 1810 narrative poem, The Lady of the Lake, to music. And this song was played to honour George Washington in 1815, and then a number of times throughout the 1800s for numerous sitting presidents. Uh, in 1954, it was adopted as the official anthem of the President of the United States, and the name of that song is Hail to the Chief. Nice. So it's not difficult to see the line that they're drawing there. It's clever. Because of the stolen it's election. It's good. Because he stole it and yeah. saying hell to, hell to yeah. the thief. Thief. Yeah. Because he's a, th- he's a thief. thiefy boy. It was a phrase that was actually used by protesters of the election before Radiohead used it. Uh, and I don't think it's just that. That is part of it. But Tom also said it represented the rise of doublethink, general intolerance and madness of individuals being totally out of control of the situation, a manifestation of something not really human. Uh, And I think there's a lot of manifestations of things that aren't really human on this album. Um, And indeed, in the Republican Party. Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Steve obviously has to remain neutral about yeah. uh, mm. people like Donald Trump. Uh, Steve, are uh, you allowed to give an opinion on Mike about uh, other countries? Yeah, hate them all. Is that not wow. what you meant? <laughs> Christ. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> that, so he can, but we, we really wish he wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the band, the rest of the band felt that the title conjured up all the nonsense and absurdity and jubilation of the times. It is a time, I think, where people felt that a lot was being stolen from them 
and Double Think is present heavily on the album, I think, as well as things that are on the verge of being not human. There's some spooky ghouls on this album. Yeah. There's plenty of spooky ghouls. Um, Were you okay with spooky, this album? creepy, you... dark... No, it was horrifying. Yeah. I've not listened to okay. it. Uh, that... <laughs> There's like a dark vibe that shifts from human to supernatural to shadowy conspiracy double think type stuff you guys uh, aware of what double think is no i was going to ask you that and then i my second my follow-up was going to be is that why that we've got two titles for shit because what i've done is i've heard the word no double, double. Yeah. yeah no what's Great. double think <laughs> what's double think <laughs> so double think was initially coined by george orwell in his novel 1984 uh, and rever- uh, refers to a process of indoctrination in which people are expected to simultaneously accept two conflicting beliefs as truth, often at odds with their own memory or sense of reality. And it's something that's even more rampant in t- 2022 and forms the basis of, uh, you'll have heard me talk about it a lot, and I'm going to come across like an insane conspiracy nut, but hypernormalization. Um the state in which societies exist in a lie that they know is a lie, but is still accepted as a truth because it's easier to comprehend than the much more complex actual truth of things. Um, I don't know, like, how much of that sort of, like, political stuff came through in the album for you? Is it political? Is it creepy? A bit of both. Is it a weirdo? Uh <laughs> I'm uh, political. Uh, the album's very... I mean, the album is... I mean, I say I say the album's political uh, only when I then read the lyrics, yeah. obviously. Yeah, yeah, Not yeah. from listening. No, because when you're listening, all you can really hear is... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, not... <laughs> Are you bringing um... back Little Britain catchphrases? No, that's... He does that oh, in the okay, song. right. Sure. <laughs> Computer uh, yeah, says no, guys. Te- it's definitely telling that... It's definitely telling that this is the first album they do post 911. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, which, which is also interesting because it, it dives kind of headfirst into, like, fantasy and folklore and stuff as well. So there's, like, it's referencing real-life stuff but it's doing so through the prism of um, a lot of like weird folklore and fairy tales and like Hans Christian Andersen type stuff. Um, the t- Tom actually like sort of uh, sort of talked about it a little bit. He said, "I desperately tried not to write anything political, anything expressing the deep." profound terror i'm living with day to day <laughs> tom york ladies and gentlemen <laughs> tom york quote um, but it's just fucking there and eventually you have to give it up and let it happen so for his lyrics he used a lot of words and phrases from the discourse surrounding the war on terror um which the u.s had started as a result of the september 11th terrorist attacks as, as lucas said it is still going the war on terror um it encompassed the war in afghanistan which lasted 20 years from 2001 to 2021, the war in Iraq from 2003 to 2011, American intervention in Syria, the killing of Osama bin Laden, the insurgency in Pakistan, which is, which is more recent. Um, it's crazy that that's still going. Tell you what, I can't wait for us to kill terror and for that to not be a thing yeah. anymore. Whew. When we finally beat terror, oh, man. That, will be, that will be a big day. Um, the thing that Tom York wanted to do, inspired by recently becoming a father, was try and take these complex themes 
that we've talked about and distill them into what he called a childlike simplicity. So, like I was saying, he took bits and pieces from nursery rhymes, fairy tales and folklore, like Chicken Lickin' or the Pied Piper, and from children's television shows he was watching with his son that he liked when he was growing up. So they were watching Trumpton, and they were also watching Bagpuss, and Bagpuss appears a couple of times on the album. Um, That's it? There's something he? very there's something very unnerving about the vibe of those 70s really is. children television shows. I, you know? Well, I mean, we haven't even got to the Burn the Witch music video. Yet. Yeah. Right, yeah, exactly. That's another little nod back to that. Uh, that vibe's all over Hail to the Thief. Uh, not only do they distill everything down to a childlike simplicity, but there's dystopian visions, references to heaven and hell, good and evil. There's androids, mermaids, genies, wolves, witching hours, and vampires. So, is this the most Muse-esque Radiohead album? Oh. Because it's also done with like a blend of electronic and rock music. I think the most Muse-esque Radiohead album is the Benz, because, because Muse made it. I think what he's trying yeah, to true. ask you, Lucas, <laughs> I think what he's trying to ask you is, does this make you feel like it's Halloween? Mm. It doesn't. It doesn't make you nothing, feel like it's Nothing makes me feel like it's Halloween. Okay. Nothing makes me feel Fair like enough. it's Halloween. Um, but yeah, there's, I think there's a lot of commonality with Muse uh, on this one, just from like the themes. Obviously, it's very political, which Muse's music eventually became overtly sort of uh, political. Um, I think that's interesting because they've also packed in wolves and vampires and witches and ghosts and androids, <laughs> which are all sort of like Muse topics and stuff, aren't hey, they? Hey, I'll have you know, Muse have never done witches. Well, no, but he wolves. used to hang out they with have done witches. Wolves. And they, oh, they've done wolves. They've got a werewolf boy. When did they boy. do wolves? Oh, they've got werewolf boy. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about the werewolf boy. <laughs> yeah. There's loads of Muse on this album before kind of Muse get to that point in their career. So that kind when of... When is this again? What year is this? 2003. So they're, in, they're on Absolution. At, at, they get into point. Absolution. Yeah. Which is interesting because I agree with your assertion that like, oh yeah, no, Muse kind of stopped sounding like Radiohead once, you know, Radiohead hit like, okay, computer. But actually, it does continue for a little bit longer. I can see a lot of Muse on, on this album, especially on something like mixomatosis um and 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 some other things as well with a fuzzy bass yeah fuzz bass um oh so it has two titles yeah what's that they were inspired by victorian playbills which used to showcase songs that had a moralistic aspect to them right so you'd go and you'd you'd hear songs that were about the politics or the issues of today which i think is what they were kind of trying to do with Held of the Thief, and all of those songs would have like double titles to, to make the meaning of them kind of more obvious. So, like, uh, uh, Shakespeare would do it. So, he like Twelfth Night or What You Will, um, is 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 one of is one of those. So, the title of this album is Hail to the Thief, parenthesis, or The Gloaming. Oh, that's the name of a song, yeah, it is, yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> The, the title, The Gloaming, was originally considered to just be the title. They also had titles like Little Man Being Erased was one of them, Snakes and Ladders. Um, it, was, it was potentially going to be called The Bony King of Nowhere. Um, That's quite good. They're all a bit sinister or creepy or with a political leaning, which kind of show more of what the album is about, I suppose. But all of those other rejected titles were still used on the album because every song on this album has its own alternative title uh, in parenthesis. Oh, bloody hell. Yeah. They aren't present on Spotify, so you guys might not know that. 
and I will just bring them up as we go. Um, yeah, Tom said, I was having trouble with titles. Hail to the Thief was also called The Gloaming, and I wanted to subtitle that, so I decided to carry on. I have this big list that I carry around, and they come from there, and from kids' programmes, because I was watching a few of those, mostly Bagpuss. I love Bagpuss. There's a <laughs> quote there from Tom York. Um, what does this album sound like, guys? Well, it's Rocky Radiohead at times. But don't at times. say the thing. I don't, we're not going to say anything. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, what you're talking Boxing gloves. Lovely. We're talking about the movie Rocky. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It sounds like the Kid A era and the OK Computer era smushed. Yeah, if you had them in each hands, you could quote. Joe Tribbiani by just going, put those hands together. <laughs> right? You know, when he's got, yeah. I can't remember what he's got. Uh, anyway, yeah. His hand is my hand. No, it's that. not that bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's more David guitars. Brent fingers. There's more guitars than Kid A and Amnesiac, right? But there's also, yeah. like, so there's also some more electronic stuff and synths. <laughs> I mean, and there's more of everything because there's lots. There's lots. There's lots of stuff. There's a lot of ideas. Um, but I do think you can kind of go, oh, I know what this song is more readily than the Kid A era, you know? Yeah, they're more formed. Well, you said this in the intro that it's, it's more formed songs that are songs that have been written yeah, with the band in mind and not just some stuff. Absolutely. Um, I think what is important to bear in mind, guys, is that rock bands sounded like this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not all of it. Though. Not all of it, but like this but is a yeah. pretty—they're pretty like within the time frame here. Like, uh, and I suppose that some some of that is to do with it's because of what Radiohead had done before in time in terms of like well, Radiohead influenced a bunch of bands. A bunch of bands started sounding like that, and then when Radiohead dipped their toe back into doing that, they sounded like those other bands a bit more. Yeah, exactly. What well, what's what's your sort of conception of what is popular around two thousand and three? Can can we can we remember were we into music at that stage in the UK? Yeah. In the UK, when our in like my friendship group, it would have been like fucking like Blink One Eight Two and Green Day and yeah. Muse and Limp Bizkit and nah, Papa Roach. I think, bit, I think Limp Bizkit and Papa Roach are done at this point. I think they've I think they've done their one hit. What, when we were thirteen? Nah. Yeah, I think so. Nah. I think I was listening to those albums in like year seven, not year nine. All right, legend. <laughs> what bloody legend? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> what? <laughs> Um, yeah, I, it, interestingly, like the, 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 the hugely popular music that, that wasn't just among us of like, of the time, like was, so it's songs like Hey Ya by Outkast, um, Crazy in Love by Beyonce, Seven Nation Army by The White Stripes. Bloody hell, that song's old. I know. Jesus Walks by Kanye West, In the Club by 50 Cent, mm. uh, 99 Problems by Jay-Z, Mr. Brightside. By the Killers. Fuck me, Brightside's already out. Yes, yeah. yeah, Steve. Infest by Papa Roach came out in 2000. By 2003, mate, that album's done. Yeah, it's not done. popular. It's gone. They've gone. Um, Apart from the fucking losers that are still listening to them. Matched by Yeah, Yeah, Yes. Where is the Love by Black Eyed Peas and Toxic by Britney Spears. Those are the top 10 most popular songs of the year. So in, we're in that middle period of that like American R&B and rap renaissance with the kind of nascent days of an indie rock resurgence. We're only just past the Strokes debut. And in terms of strictly the alternative rock world, it is, yeah, like Limp Bizkit and that stuff, they're, they're past it. There are some 
hangers on so we get like the white stripes right we're, we're turning more towards garage rock with the white stripes and the strokes but we do have linkin park the biggest song of the year by far was by evanescence um there's audio slave there's stained i did say they'd come up uh there's queens of the stone age there's a big red hot chili peppers renaissance do you remember the, the red hot chili peppers renaissance around this by time? the way came out right yeah exactly yeah that song that's the only one, yeah. one i know really yeah, yeah. um Foo Fighters, and of course Muse, they were big on the, uh, if, if you look at the UK rock and metal charts for 2003, a lot of it's US imports, apart from Muse, Radiohead, and The Darkness. <laughs> Interesting, oh, they were big darkness. this year. Steve, I remember you being really into The Darkness album. I really liked it. Uh, what's it, Permission to Land? Loved it. Yeah. It's great. Get what your fun, hands off of my fun. woman, motherfucker. Is that one of the songs from You that? can't. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll always respect them for getting for for breaking into the Christmas song. Oh yeah, Pantheon. yeah, yeah. yeah They'll yeah. always have my respect for that. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm skipping over it on this episode, but there is a Radiohead Christmas. We'll do it when we get to Christmas. But oh. a, yeah, yeah, there's some Radiohead <laughs> Christmas stuff. There's some Radiohead Christmas stuff. Um, we are. I'm just about getting into music at this point. 2003 is probably when I get REM's best of uh, for Christmas. So I'm just about getting into music. So I, I, I missed the boat on Held of the Thief. But this is the last album that they released before I get into them. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah I mean, I mean, American Idiot comes out a year after this then, 2004. Wow, yeah, it does. So yeah, like the Linkin Park and the Limp Biscuits are f- way gone at that point. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not your Linkin Park so much, maybe, but Limp Biscuit and like Papa Roach and Corn and all that are like, mm. the new metal thing's kind of over. Yeah. Oh, R.I.P. Rip. R.I.P. New Metal. Yeah. We'll miss it now it's gone. Do you miss new metal? I don't. Uh, oh, I mean, I just watched that Coachella documentary, you know, and it just, not Coachella. Woodstock. Uh, Woodstock, Woodstock documentary. And it just makes you think, oh, don't you miss new metal? Don't you miss <laughs> new metal? And it's it. great fans and it's great yeah. everything. I watched yeah. that documentary and thought, oh, those were the days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Those guys seem cool. Yeah. Oh, man. We had a, we had a very entertaining uh voice note chat about that documentary i really enjoyed that evening of my life we'll release it as an episode we should we should really yeah, yeah that would be interesting yeah. 15 um, quid <laughs> 15 quid wow as little <laughs> yeah, as that yeah. as little as yeah. that um what a bargain my, my ultimate my overall take on this album because you haven't actually really asked what we think of it well no because mm. i would typically do that at the end yeah. <laughs> what <are your> scores <laughs> okay my highs are <laughs> the thing i have with this album was that I, obviously I've talked before about like I find it I found all the Radiohead albums quite hard work yeah to get into now you know what I'm going to say about this album don't you? It, you 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 get out of it the effort you put into it no wildly accessible. accessible yeah yeah oh <laughs> it's but it's long it's so yeah. long it's so and long. I don't think it's any and I don't think it's as it's it's as accessible as some of the other albums because I don't think there's as many like big bangers it's more accessible so, than OK Computer for sure. I don't know, but maybe, but maybe, but maybe, and this is what I think comes down to it. Maybe it's because I was more familiar with more of OK Computer already, yeah. which then ultimately comes down to my whole thing about it takes me a long time to get, like, basically this podcast mistake. <laughs> we all know. We giving, all agree. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Giving yeah. me three weeks to listen to a new album is the antithesis of how I listen to music. It would take me three months to get like, like a real like familiarity for an album, you know? 
Unless it's by like one of my like favourite bands in the world. But am I right in saying that before we did this podcast, you wouldn't have ever given an album three weeks? You'd have just kind of listened to it, gone, oh, that's not for me, and then never listened to it Absolutely. again. Or, or, no, no, or I would have, but it would have been, it's the sort of album that would have grabbed me early, mm. enough that I keep listening, and then I would develop that familiarity with it because I'm, I've, it's grabbed me. But obviously those are generally bands that are a bit less hard work than Radiohead. A bit less interesting. And so... Yeah. And also, this album's Know Your Enemy. That's interesting. This is I Know Your Enemy, yeah. is know your enemy by the Manic Street Preachers. It, yeah. it yeah. doesn't have nearly as much range as Know Your Enemy. It's not it's, as disparate. It's, it's, mm. it's their sixth album. Yeah. It's long. Mm-hmm. I found it really hard to get into, mm. which then means that some of it I maybe am going to have a bit of a meh to because it's just simple fatigue. Yeah. And, and it's followed up by their best album. <laughs> yeah, interesting. So, That's interesting. I mean, this is yeah. a, this is no your enemy. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, Steve, you're the rock boy of the podcast. I'm the rock boy, rock and roll dudes. Um, I <laughs> I would uh, say this is probably the, the the one that took me the most time. To... I struggle with this album the most as well. Is what I'm trying. That's to That's really um, interesting because when you were doing your initial uh, listen of of Radiohead stuff, like. A couple yes. of years ago, right? Yes. Your one standout was, oh, I really like Hail to the Thief. Yeah, which is interesting, isn't it? But I, I was yeah. in a completely different state of mind then. Maybe, I, and I wasn't like um, trying to analyze the album. I was just like, put it on, and I was like, yeah, that's fine. That's really nice to listen to, and it's good and whatever. Um, but I think what I found about this album is that, w- that when you've got so much to dig into, because it is long, by the way, um, it's a long some, album. Maybe some details can get lost on. A large listen, you know, mm-hmm. but I'm also in like, I'm in two minds about this album, and I'm hoping you guys can help me feel, a, tell me how I feel about it because that's well, that's Adam will, do. Adam will take yeah, yeah. that. Don't well, no, in a way, like uh, bits aside, like I don't, I'm hoping someone on these next two or three episodes, or whatever you can do, is going to be able to unlock it for me. But um, Adam's kind of alluded to it before how it's a bit like, or well, certainly to me, it's a bit like OK Computer and Kid A era sort of together, incorporating both vibes into one album. Now, you could see that as great, right? Because, like, two very successful moods on one album should surely make for a great album. Or is it two watered-down vibes from those albums onto one, therefore diluting it as a piece? Interesting. Is it two plus two equals five? Yeah. Well, you see, so that's good. That is good. Thank you. Yeah, good. So therefore, I'm just going to well, say... If you're saying it's a watered-down version, then wouldn't that be 2 plus 2 equals 3? Oh, yeah, mm, good. Yeah. I'm just, basically, it's, not, I'm, it's not greater than the sum of its parts. I'm, look, I'm really looking forward to discussing it, so to see if you can sort of help me. I don't know. It's, it was been a really difficult one. There, there is three, maybe four tracks that I would just take right off this. Which Will just, did. Which yes. I guess take Will did. <laughs> I would just absolutely take them out. Uh, I pr- probably disagree with Will on like a couple of them. But uh, I think there's obviously some songs that like don't really benefit from being placed next to the rock song. I I would I would pair this down to the rock tracks. I think, which okay. is maybe a weird statement for me because you know I'm all about the weirdness and the electronics and stuff like that. Mm. But there's some songs on here that are just they sound like what they are, which is leftovers from Kid A sessions that they're now right. sort of like working up. Um, and then, and then there's the proper, the the really new stuff, the the we're going back to rock music sort of uh, vibe. Um, I mean, uh, this this album, I think I'm, I think most people think it's kind of a mixed bag, uh, including the band. Um, mm. It has two of my favourite Radiohead songs of all time on it. 
Right. Uh, and it also has like some real non-essential stuff on it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. just some, some fluff. But we'll get into it. Um, I think we should start at the first track, if that's all mm. right with you guys. Hey, man, why not? Let's go nuts. Um, usually I would introduce, uh, but I really... Why would I introduce the track when I could have David Bowie do it for me? I'm very pleased to see that this next band, although they're probably writing some of the most uh, seriously contemplated and uh, earnestly listened to material that's been written by any band for many, many years, and that they have devotees, including myself, who go and see their live shows all over the world, that they actually can't add. Can you believe that the track from this album, this one's called 2 plus 2 equals 5? Do you know that that's not right? Although George Orwell also thinks that that's true. I search a dreamer to put the world to rise. So it starts like that, you know, uh, so far, so miserable. Yeah. Um, sounds like Radiohead. It does sound like Radiohead, but then a little bit later on, uh, it, it, it's, it sounds like this instead. I played that Bowie clip to immediately allay anybody making any comment about the maths being wrong. Oh, yeah. Well, that's wrong, isn't it? That's not we right. already covered it um, as well, anyway, you know, and Steve's <laughs> wrong analogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is he, apart, right, apart from Bowie, what, what are the words at the start of this song? It sounds like nice way to start, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's what he says. That's a nice way to start, Johnny. Yeah. Oh, Johnny, it, okay, cool. And it, yeah. starts, it starts with a guitar being plugged in. Which is like a bit of a classic rock and roll Ooh, thing to do, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and it starts with that classic doom mongering, both in sound and content, and then it kind of transitions to an even slower, more dread-filled section, and then it just kind of uh, explodes. Yeah. There are loud guitars and a build-up, an actual release, and it sounds like. It sounds like a rock song, guys. Yeah, man. I was like, it's really, it's really great. It's really great. Yeah, straight away. It's probably one of my favorite Radiohead songs. Oh, great. Yeah, it's It's fantastic. Yeah. It's like straight away, it's like classic Radiohead with that kind of metronome Mm -hmm. kind of beat. And then it's an absolute jump scare, like you said. Uh, And it kicks in, and I'm like, 
And at this point, I'm going, yes, it's the Benz 2.0. And then I oh, realised I probably got, sound like the best, I got a bit though. too ahead of myself. Well, I get like just vibes, ding ding, 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 like just vibes from it, and the country. Yeah, guitars. there's a bit of that. Yeah, it's it's it is very angry, isn't it? Um, and it's obviously political a lot, a lot like this this whole album. It's a different Radiohead in some ways. We haven't really heard them sound exactly like this, but also it's a doubling down of Radiohead in kind of in kind of other ways, right? Yeah, I mean it it's a it's a good opener to be like don't worry guys it's not kid A and amnesiac. Although you kind of think it like might be from the well, opening. That's what I mean, yeah, yeah. of the album. Yeah, yeah. it yeah. kind of does a little bait and switch. Then it spits on your yeah. face and goes oh. mental and it steps <laughs> on me, great. daddy. <laughs> Mommy. Uh what what was it about? Like stuff going against the like stuff that's not about bad maths, isn't it? Like April showers in April yeah. showers in January. That's not right. Two plus two equals five. It's like saying things that aren't. That's, yeah, kind of. Is that like is that like making some kind of point that I'm not getting? Okay, so I think a lot can be taken from the title. Is it the double thought thing? Is this the um, conflicting ideas that that thing you said from Big Brother, from 1984? <laughs> from Big Brother, the yeah. TV show. <laughs> yes. Um, so there's a lot can be taken from the title. Two plus two equals five is directly from 1984. And then it has a second title in parenthesis, The Lukewarm. Um, so 2.2 equals... Not as good a title. <laughs> two mm. plus two equals five is from George Orwell's novel 1984, released in 1949. Uh, the phrase is obviously untrue, right? Mm-hmm. Two plus two does not equal five but it's something that the leaders of Oceania uh, in that novel expect their citizens to believe, along with the phrase, war is peace, um, which feels very of 2003 and also now with hypernormalization yeah. and Donald Trump saying, no, I did win the election and a whole group of people believing that to be the case. And then the lukewarm... Don't call them people. <laughs> <laughs> Troglodytes. And then They're the just little <laughs> goblins, aren't they? <laughs> and then the lukewarm is from Dante's Inferno. They're a group of people who are technically in hell, but in the least terrible part of it. They're like just outside the gates. They hang around going, well, I don't know why I'm here. I didn't do anything. And that becomes exactly the point. They are there because they didn't do anything and just allowed things to happen. Often mm. sort of terrible things. So the song is about giving in to the lie or the tension around trying to resist giving in to the lie or burying your head in the sand, which is kind of what a society does when faced with these kinds of things. There's that, um, I'll lay down the track, sandbag and hide. Uh, The first line is along the lines of, who the fuck do you think you are to question the way of things? Right? He says, are you such a dreamer to put the world to rights? And then the April showers thing is climate change. We now have April showers yeah. in January because of climate change, but we're expected to ignore that and believe that everything is fine. Um, Hail to the thief is a reference to the election, which we are expected to ignore and believe that everything is fine. Uh, go and tell the king that the sky is falling in when it's not. You're expected to believe that, even though it's not true. And that's from Chicken Licking. That's the first little child story fairy tale thing coming in there. <laughs> For a split second there, I thought you said Chicken Little. And They're the same like, thing. Uh, chicken Little is, po- is, is a title change of Chicken Licking for American audiences. Oh, is it actually? 
Yeah, yeah the sky's that, falling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I tell you what, when he says, I've mean, never seen it. I've seen. I just assume it's some like gentle kids film about a chicken. Well, it is, but yeah, it comes from the the chicken licking uh, sort of like fairy tale. Yeah, when he does um, say "Hail to the thief," I was like, "Hey, hey, I'll drink, <laughs> everyone drink." <laughs> I mean, that bit is great. That whole second section is is so cool. Um, where he's talking about like, "Don't question my authority" and and all stuff like that. Uh, but the biggest thing is like, you have not been paying attention. That idea, like, you often hear the phrase, "Oh, if you're not angry, it's because you've not been paying attention." Um, yes. which I think is a deliberate choice of the narrator in this song. Uh, it kind of just sort of sets up the the the, the world of, of Hail to the Thief. And I think you're right, Lucas, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a kind of, in, in some places, a list of things that are just not true, but we're expected to just ignore them and believe everything is, is fine. I've been very guilty of burying my head in the sand, especially recently. I, I muted certain words on Twitter, like Boris. Uh, sure. War, uh, yeah. nuke, um, you know, because it's too much. But also at the same time, it's sometimes also at the same time just be constantly bombarded with with like we all like like I I know there's kind of that it's kind of kind of that as well, like the that thing of like it's not burying your head in the sand because it's not like you're not aware of those things. It's just maybe for your own sanity you don't want to be constantly reminded. I think that is the central premise of the album. Mm. Uh. On one of the key tracks, the chorus is, I'm going to go to sleep and let this wash all over me. It's the lukewarm saying, you know, because we're not doing anything about it. We're basically burying our head in the sand. Yeah, it's a similar thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I like how, like, messy and tight it is. And I also like how unhinged Tom sounds in the second half. <laughs> you can see him <laughs> shaking his head about. Yeah, If exactly. they were playing the song, yeah. Um, oh yeah, you can see him doing the the Tom York dance oh, yeah, and shakehead yeah. move. Yeah, the dance shakehead. Yeah. We haven't really heard that kind of Tom on an album before, and there's a couple of Toms that we haven't really heard before on this album. Um, and I think that just goes to show the kind of the difference in energy they have when they're playing things live because this is a live take. It was recorded in one day. It really sounds like it, and it and it, it is fairly loose in terms of like I've listened to the the first track. Every time I've listened to the album, right? Okay. So yeah, that's where I start. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but when it kicks in, someone comes in early um, when, yeah. when you really listen. And <laughs> I quite like it. It's cool. It, it yeah, still matters a, to me. Uh, there's a messy me, so, yeah. sort of uh, feeling to it. Um, yeah, but it does, it does the song well, doesn't it? And I like the bait and switch. And I like that it's just sort of like, well, I mean, it's like what Colin said. He said, the first song, 2 plus 2 equals 5, is three and a half minutes long. It's got three strong melodies in it and loud guitar halfway through, a few choruses and guitar solos. I mean, isn't that what everyone's been saying they wanted from Radiohead in the last three years? <laughs> yeah, you got it now, you bastard. <laughs> you got what you wanted. The bit, I love the bit when the, during like the, I don't know, bridge? Yeah. When there's just like, like picky guitar alongside the like, the warbling Tom York vocals. Yeah. Nah, it's particularly, you really hear the dread in his voice when he's saying things like, it's the devil's way now and there's no way out. <laughs> it's, it's great. You know, you don't hear that, Adam, do you? You just hear... Well, I do. I do because this is my, like, 19th, well, 17th year of listening to this album, I suppose. Mm, so, yeah. Um, and that's. I think it's a great opener. I think it's a great opener. 
I think it's a great opener. Always, op- always open strong. They open with the strongest. Absolutely. And we all know Lucas is the strongest Muse fan. So. I we we know how I feel about strength. Oh yeah, <laughs> big fan. I guess I don't know big, what this big is. fan of yeah. of strength. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just a just a power bomb. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay, so again, we're kind of f- like faced with the same kind of thing, right? Where like it starts one way and then it becomes something else. It starts like that and then it becomes this. <laughs> Sit down, stand up by Radiohead, parenthesis. Snakes and ladders. No, I, I, um, I think I found this the most exhausting Radiohead song we've had so far. Okay. Um, well, I thought it was like "Oops, Upside Your Head" or the Cha Cha Slide, where you've got to do the actions. So I was okay. knackered <laughs> listening to this song. Every time I listened to it, I had to do as he told me. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. So how did you, uh, how did you walk into the jaws of hell? <laughs> yeah. You know, you're at a wedding, and you've done the conga. And you put- I love that dance move where you walk into the jaws of hell. <laughs> I'd love to see loads of people at a wedding doing it. Walking into the jaws of hell. What a classic. What a classic. Yeah. Um- yeah. It's a, it's a sit-down, stand-up joke. It's a, you're welcome. Yeah, sit-down, stand-up, sit-down, stand-up. Uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's a... Uh- it's very monotonous, this one, but I think that really works. Mm. And yeah, like, you really earn the release that comes. Oh, oh the release, though. Mm. That little drop when the beats kick in. Beats. Beats. It's also, it's also got the... It's also does like a similar thing to the last song of just repeating the thing, like the paying attention, paying attention. And this is the drop, I'm a raindrop. raindrop. Is it yeah. I'm a raindrop? The drums under the I'm a raindrop are great and fast and great. Where did, but you, also, where did you get I'm a raindrop from? I've got and the raindrops. What is it? It's just it's just the raindrops. Uh, oh, I'm okay. a raindrop. Okay. I like uh, I'm a raindrop. Okay. <laughs> it's nice. Like... The drums underneath it are absolute chaos, and also they've like left in the metronome track. What it sounds like, mm-hmm. like that. It just sounds like a metronome built into like a digital yeah, audio workstation. Yes, mm-hmm. it, it yes. becomes very ravey. Um, does part, part of really my does. thesis, right? This, this forms part of my thesis that the uh, the I might be wrong live recordings release that we covered and mm-hmm. we both we all kind of went yeah whatever it's a live recordings was actually very a very important part of their career um because this seems like they've taken the live version of Idiotech and then expanded on it 
you know what I mean? Yeah, I can hear the way that they have like electronic and real drums happening at once with an actual drop this time, and they're layering atmosphere on top of it, and they're allowing to do that. They're allowing Tom to do his mad vocal thing, where on the live video tech he was going women and children first, and the children first, and the children. And this one he's going the raindrops, the raindrops, the raindrops, the raindrops, the raindrops. I'm a raindrop. I'm a raindrop. I'm a raindrop. Yeah. Yeah. I really like it. It's 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 also that first hint that we're looking at a blend of Radiohead styles because you've got the skittery yeah. electronic drums, but you also have a real piano. And Lucas, help me out. It's either a Glockenspiel or a xylophone. It's the metallic one. What's that? There's a, the Glock. The that's the Glockenspiel. Right. Okay. I yeah. always get them mixed up. Yeah. Thank Wooden you. one xylophone. The little red one you used to play at school. You're right. Uh, is the song called? But uh, genuinely, I've in my brain, I think I might have mixed up the title forever. Is it called Sit Up, Stand Down? Mm-mm. It's just no, called no. Sit Down, Stand Up. It's not a Muse song. It's not called Sit Up, Stand Up. Because I've written a little note down. being like, what's the content, what's the context of the title being like jumbled up? It's not. It's not. No, it's, it's I've sit, just invented sit that. down, stand up, parenthesis, snakes and ladders. Don't care about that bit. Uh, well, that's okay. down and up, isn't it? Snakes and it ladders. Is, it is indeed. It is. Yeah. Um, that little drop. Snakes the, and ladders, bad game. Really I agree. Bad. Yeah? Really boring. Yeah. No skill, just rolling dice and luck as to whether you get a snake or a ladder. Mm-hmm. So and what does that sort of uh, tell you about the song, that they've included that sort of thought in, in the song? Mm. That there's no skill in getting ahead in the world now. It's luck. Oh, it's how roll of a dice. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Lovely. You either hit a ladder or you hit a snake and you're either on your way up or on your way down. It's nothing to do with you. All to do with fate and determinism, maybe. Yeah, I like that. I like, it's bollocks, but I like it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> The, the 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 drop the beats mm. um what it i like is that it, there is like a second drop again when it when it gets heavier but there's no it's not really obvious but i think that's when the real drums come in over the electronic drums maybe there's just there's a, also there's some a, stuff next, that disappears i think is, is there. what happens there I think, everything yeah, becomes a little bit clearer yeah. yes it kind of elevates again doesn't it and then of course we get some laser pew pew mm. oh i'm yeah. so glad you mentioned the lasers yeah uh, there's so many lasers on this song. Lucas, did you catch the lasers? Not one. We must hear the lasers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, we love lasers in a song. What song were we talking about the other day? It's got lasers in it. Uh, uh, it's on... Um, oh, it's on No Your Enemy, right? Pew! Yeah. yeah, yeah, we love it. Um... It's probably about raindrops. Mm. Yeah? I reckon it's about snakes and ladders. Could be. <laughs> it's about the cha-cha slide. <laughs> um, it kind of vibes with 2 plus 2 equals 5, right? There's like yeah. opposing instructions. Well, and it does the same thing of like starts off a bit chill and then goes, yeah, absolutely. goes off the deep end. Yeah. And then there's the line about walking to the jaws of hell, which as well as being a great dance move, uh, they're they're actually in reference to the war in uh, Zaire and Rwanda in 1998, and also the genocide in Rwanda in 1994. And it's nice that we have that dance move to commemorate those events. Um, There's obviously, we can wipe you out any time, which maybe refers to like drone warfare. Here come the drones, etc. And then uh, raindrops, maybe things falling on your head, you know, like bombs. 
uh, and I did a lot of work thinking, God, that must be what that means. And then I read an interview where Tom said he used those words because it sounded cool. So oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. It's that kind of context that yeah. as we were coming back to this uh, really podcast. brings the song to life, doesn't mm, it? Um, I'm a raindrop. I didn't catch it at the time, but you can hear a bit of this song in Meeting People Is Easy. Oh, yeah? Um, we see Tom programming some of the drums sitting at a picnic table in a park in Australia, which means it was written around 1998. Um, and when it was played on the 2002 tour, it had a bit of a different structure, and it was a more gradual build to a car crash ending. There wasn't really a drop, um, but they couldn't recreate that energy in the studio, so they decided to go with like the drop thing, which I think works really well for the song, actually. Yeah, it's great. I really like this track. Yeah, I really like this track. Yeah, Lucas. Yeah, it's good. All it's good. Yeah. It's a good song. Yeah, good song. Yeah, yeah. 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 Two for two yeah. so far from all three of us. Yeah, pack it in. Oh, stop this episode immediately. Pack it, up. Pack it in. What do you Let think? Let me you're... end the episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah? No. Yeah. Ah. No. Uh, yeah. 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 Join us next no, week. No, I want to read an email. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, wait yeah? no, don't both you go. When I mention a listener email, you can't both go, <laughs> oh. Is it another one like the other ones, though? Shut up. It's it's from it's from Lily. It's from Lily Evans. Uh, the other Lily, we should point out. Uh, Not Lily Evans, Harry Potter's mum. Is that the name of Harry Potter's mum? Yeah, I mean, they might be Harry Isn't Potter's mum. Lily Potter. Well, but her maiden name, you fucking idiot. Okay. Obviously, okay. obviously Luke has been going through the Harry Potter movies. I've been watching all the yeah. Harry Potter movies. Lovely, recently. lovely. Putting more money in the pocket of notorious turf, J.K. Rowling. Uh, Lily says, hi, boys. I like being called boys. I like being called hi. Yeah, okay. That's weird. Oh. Uh, I've yeah. been listening since the start of the Muse season, and I'm a big fan of Muse. <laughs> I don't know why. What are you I doing? Say Muse from now on. <laughs> what are you doing? Um, I'm a big fan of Muse, Billy, and Radiohead. Just a quick email about the song Street Spirit, because I've been thinking about writing in for a while and finally have an opportunity to do so. I feel like I get something different in this song than you guys. The line, immerse your soul in love, isn't a positive one in my head. To me, it feels like an admission that there is nothing in this world that will make it better uh, in regards to any of the album's themes, society being shit or mental health, and that the only thing that can ease the pain somewhat is to immerse one's soul in love. It's an admission of defeat under the weight of modern society. Also, the line, this machine will not communicate the thoughts and the strain I am under, to me is Tom saying, this guitar and this microphone, these songs I am writing, are not conveying the fucking pain I am feeling. It's such a wonderfully dark song that means the world to me. It was one of the songs I listened to over and over again at uni when my depression was really bad and I couldn't listen to it for a few years after because of the emotions I associate with it, which is a shame because, as Adam would say, it fucks. Uh, hope this all makes sense as I write this while rushing to work. Hope to talk again in a more cheery email soon from the other Lily, who is Rain Trigger Yellow on Twitter. Yes, I know that Twitter handle. That's a really nice email. I like getting people's interpretations of songs, especially when they differ to the ones that we give. What do you guys think? Yeah, I agree. It's nice. It's lovely. It's nice. <laughs> 
Well, that brings us to the end of another episode. Thank you so much for listening. Our next episode is out next Monday, and we'll be continuing our deep dive into Hail to the Thief, so come and join us for that. But before you do, come and let us know what you think of Hail to the Thief and what you think about what we think of Hail to the Thief or of anything that we've talked about in this episode you can find us on twitter instagram and facebook at what is music pod tiktok at what is music and if you want to send in something a little bit longer like lily did and we can read it out on the show and actually have sort of like conversations with you with our voices rather than through tweets and instagrams and stuff like that you can email us what is music pod at gmail.com and there's also a couple of ways that you can support us other than listening if you would like to. One of those ways is to buy our merchandise. If you go to whatismusicpod.redbubble.com, you'll find some stupid designs and one John Major one. And if you want to not get some merchandise, but you do want to chuck us a couple of quid, uh, you can go to coffee.com, which is ko-fi.com slash whatismusic. All donations are very gratefully received and go towards our running costs. That about does it, guys, I reckon. Thank you again for listening. Before you go, please, obviously, don't leave me high. Don't leave me. Time will waste you. Fucking rock and roll. Absolute fucking mess.